The material shared within this podcast is based on the personal experiences and learnings of the presenter. Coloplast has paid the presenter for sharing this information. Nothing within this podcast is intended to be used as medical advice and or used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Coloplast Professional Bowel and Bladder Matters Podcast, where we explore various important topics related to ostomies and continence. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle Best. I'm a Coloplast Clinical Consultant for Ostomy Care in North America. My background is as a registered nurse and a certified wound ostomy incontinence nurse. Linda Coulter has been a certified wound ostomy incontinence nurse since 2010 and currently cares for patients at University Hospital's Ahuja Medical Center in Beechwood, Ohio. She is a current member of the Board of Trustees of the Mideast Region of Wound Ostomy Incontinence Nurses Society and has presented on ostomy care in the United States and abroad. Linda is a clinical instructor for the Rupert B. Turnbull School of WOCN Nursing and is a regular contributor to the Phoenix Magazine, the official publication of the United Ostomy Associations of America. She also serves on that organization's medical advisory board. Linda, thank you for being here with us today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I think as a WOCN nurse, fistulas are one of the most challenging things that we encounter. Can you describe to me what a fistula is? A fistula is a connection between two hollow organs or spaces that are not usually connected. Technically, the two spaces should be epithelialized or have epithelialized surfaces like intestines. And what are the different types of fistulas? There's a few different ways that fistulas are classified. So they might be classified based on location. There are internal fistulas, such as rectovaginal fistulas, which are the rectum to the vagina, or colovesical fistulas, which are the colon to the bladder. Then there are external fistulas, which are what we're talking about today, the enterocutaneous and the colocutaneous. So the small intestine to the skin or the colon to the skin. Another way that we might classify fistulas are by the different spaces that are connected. So that gives us some of the nomenclature or terminology, some that I already mentioned, but again, the colovesical, which is a colon to the bladder, that might also be called the vesicocolic fistula. Rectovaginal fistulas are the rectum and the vagina. A further classification is by volume. It can be a high volume fistula, which is considered anything over 500 milliliters in 24 hours. Then there's a moderate output, which is 200 to 500 milliliters in 24 hours. And then also low output, which is less than 200 milliliters per 24 hours. In practice, regarding output, in the practice I do, often anything that's got at least 50 milliliters or 50 cc's a day is something that we would consider trying to pouch or put a pouch on just in terms of making it more easy to manage for the person that has it. And then there's also a classification based on how complex or simple the fistula is. There are simple fistulas, which are short. They have direct tracts. They don't have any abscess or any other organ involvement. 
then there are actually two types of complex fistulas. Type one contains an abscess and there are multiple organs that are involved. And then also uh, a type two, these are fistulas I think a lot of the folks listening may have run into, they're fistulas that open into the base of a wound. Sounds like fistula classification and the different types of fistulas pretty complex also, along with the management. Right, exactly, exactly. They're, they're usually can be so extremely complex. Sometimes you might run into something fairly simple, but oftentimes they're quite complex. Um, and the, the types that, that we as WOCs work with are usually two main types, the colocutaneous or the enterocutaneous fistulas. Well, thank you for that. I I think the beauty of the naming process is the fact that it it identifies the place it's from and the place it's to, and that simplifies it a little bit. Yes. If you know some of those terms, it automatically tells you what you're working with. Let's walk through the usual process. When you get a consult for a fistula at the hospital, can you just give me kind of a list of what are some of the things that you must know when you go in for that fistula assessment? When I get a new consult for a fistula, I know that I'm going to need to say, okay, where is this fistula? Is it located within a wound? Where within a wound is it? What size is the fistula? What size is the wound that it's in? I need to know the type and amount of effluent that's coming from the fistula. Are we talking uh, one of the lower volume fistulas that is less than 200 a day or a high volume that's more than 500 milliliters a day? And is that a very watery output? Is it a more mushy output? That's going to make a difference. Then I also need to look at the perifistular skin. Is that denuded or is it in good shape? That might mean I might have to do something for it. Then finally, one of the things that really makes managing a fistula difficult is I need to look at the the contour. So by contour, I'm thinking, are there dips and creases or scars around the fistula that I need to think about trying to level out? Is the fistula within a skin fold? And what might I need to do if it's within a skin fold? So all of those things are what I look at when I'm assessing the situation. There's so many variables. That's a lot of different things to have to be paying attention to. When you're in there, what are some of the goals that you're focusing on for fistula management? One of the biggest goals is what can I do to help the person be more comfortable, like to promote comfort for this person? I want them to be able to, you know, of course, have less pain, but also what can they, what can I do to help them have the most optimal physical function? If they don't have physical function, they can't work with physical therapy. They can't get up and move around. They can't ambulate. So what can I do to help optimize that? Of course, I want to contain the the output, contain that effluent so it's going, being managed well, it's not going onto them, it's not going onto their skin or onto their clothing or bed. There's also, there might be odor that needs to be controlled. As I said, we want to see if the fistula is within a wound. What do we need to do to help the wound heal while managing the fistula and also prevent infection? There may be some collaboration that we need to do, for instance, nutritionally. We need to collaborate with the nutrition services, the dietitians, and we also need to look at what 
is going to be a cost-effective solution for the patient and for also our, you know, if they are in the hospital for the facility, what's going to be a a cost-effective solution. And we also always need to be collaborating with medical teams, the surgical teams, if what our original goals are can't be met. What are the considerations that you have for management? How do you decide if you put a dressing on the fistula versus uh, a pouch? What does that look like when you're thinking about a treatment option? Part of that is a lot about the volume. Um, I think I mentioned before that I would really consider doing pouching if there's about 50 milliliters or more in a day. That's kind of considered a a pouchable volume. Putting a pouch on that would help make the person be a lot more comfortable, help give them more physical function. Then there's also quality of life. What's going to be the best for that person? I might think, oh, I can come up with the the best pouching system for this person ever, but if it's not going to give them the quality of life that they want, you know, they might try it and they might say, you know what? I've tried pouching before. I would rather go with a dressing. Sometimes you need to look at what the patient wants. So in those cases, like what is going to be the best skin protection for that patient? Related to that is, can the fistula be pouched? Is it reasonable to even consider doing a pouching for that? The contour, the volume, it just might be just too much and Again, the patient may say, you know what, it's not worth it. It's easier for me to do dressing changes multiple times a day than to try to do a complex pouching that doesn't last very long and and costs a whole heck of a lot more. So I think that can be a difficult thing for some ostomy nurses, especially because we want to be able to pouch everything. That's kind of our life view is how can we contain this? But sometimes pouching isn't the answer. Sometimes dressing and a good skin barrier is the best answer. Well, maintaining quality of life is definitely paramount in our decision-making and patient's choice, I think, really needs to be honored. So I appreciate that you mentioned that. When you're considering the different things that you would use to manage fistulas, what would you recommend for folks out there to have in their toolbox? What kind of supplies should they have? I like using the word, uh, the term toolbox as well, because it's really is how I think about what I'm going to need. So I'll start from the skin and progress from there, I think might, might be helpful. So again, if we have a skin that's raw and weeping, we need to do something to that skin to help protect it and help heal it. So there are different skin protectants that are available. Um, like a skin sealant, ideally there would be alcohol free. So the ones that aren't going to hurt, they might be termed like a sting free or a no sting type of skin sealant. There are more heavy duty types of skin sealants. These are the, the cyanoacrylate monomers. Those are the ones that can last several days. You don't have to reapply them if you need to do something the next day to the fistula. So often they say those are good for up to seven days, depending on the type of output, maybe not, but that's a good product to have. There's a pharmacy item that I like to have available and it's called aluminum acetate and it comes in a powder. You make a solution out of it. You read the packet directions. It is an astringent that is excellent for weepy, raw, painful skin. 
And what it does is it, it soothes the skin and helps it to dry out. I have used this on some patients that the skin is so painful and they're like, I don't even want you to touch me. And I have said, let me just put this wet cloth on you with this solution. And if it doesn't help, uh, I hear you, I'll, I'll leave you alone. And I put that on and I have become their best friend because it has allowed them to be able to breathe, not just feel like they need to squirm around. So it's a, it's a very good product. And then again, it helps that drier skin so you can do some pouching. Then of course, there's the, the stoma nurse's friend, the, the stoma powder. And I like the pectin-based powders. It forms on moist skin. It forms a little jelly coating. You know, pectin is used to make jelly. So right on that moist skin, it makes a little gelled protective coating. One of the tips I like to tell people when they're using the stoma powder is puffing the powder out of the bottle onto raw skin can actually be very painful. Pectin shouldn't hurt the skin, but it might be the air puffing out of the bottle. So I just say, take a four by four, put the powder on the four by four, and then gently place it onto the, the raw skin. And that's going to make your patient be a lot more comfortable. So that's just a little extra tip for using that, the pectin powders. Then the next thing I start thinking about is, okay, I need to make a pouchable surface. I need to start leveling the skin, filling in creases and dips and skin folds. So for that, I would use skin barriers. And there, of course, there are a ton of different types of skin barriers out there. But one type are the the sheets. Uh, often you'll see four by four sheets. Sometimes they might come in larger ones, eight by eight and things. And with those, you look at cutting them to fit different creases and things. Sometimes you might stack them. Sometimes I like to stack them in almost like a pyramid shape to help hold open skin folds. And it really helps provide a better surface for being able to pouch. You can also roll them into a, a little tube if you need to help get more support too. One of the tricks one of my mentors uh, showed me was cutting the skin barriers into small pieces, about one by one pieces or one by two, kind of any size you might need, but then placing it almost like flower petals around the fistula. Um, and she actually called it petaling. And that helps to provide not only the protection to the skin, but it also, because it's using smaller pieces rather than the large pieces of skin barrier, it gives more flexibility. So it actually helps provide a better grip for the pouch and a better seal for the pouch. Stoma paste is another type of skin barrier. And it's good not to only have the basic stoma paste that have the alcohol be, that makes them flow very well, but have a no alcohol version available if you can, because that can make a huge difference with somebody who's got some raw skin, at least until their skin can get healed. And that's going to help fill in some of the smaller creases. You can use it as caulking around some of the larger pieces of skin barrier and also around the opening of the pouch. You can use that. And if you take the stoma paste and put it at any opening around the pouch, and if you are, say you have a two-piece pouch and you can go in with a four by four, or a damp paper towel, tap that down and kind of get it really in underneath the, any lip you might have of the interior of the pouch and seal it with some stoma powder, 
that's going to help you get an initial good setup so that the output will go into the pouch. Then there are the rings and the bars of paste that act more like putty that you can mold into different shapes and things like that. A lot of times I twist them to kind of get them to sit into the creases more. And then the star of the show, I guess, would be the pouches. What kind of pouches do you have? One-piece pouches, two-piece pouches, wound managers of different sizes might be more appropriate. Is there a window available that can help you manage the fistula sometimes and also give you access without having to remove the pouch? And there's a lot of different sizes that you might have. Another product that you want to have in the, the toolbox and this is often is when you're working with somebody who that pouching isn't the answer is to have some creams and ointments, the skin barrier creams and ointments to help. And then a few other accessory types of products are, are warm packs, some tapes or wafer extenders to put around the edges that can just give you a larger real estate that you're getting purchase on. So that can help extend your wear time. Have a suction, like a wall suction, because again, especially with a high volume fistulas, you can get everything almost perfectly ready to put that pouch on and that's when it's going to function. And sometimes you have to start over again, or at least do a large chunk of the work over again. So if you can have some kind of suction equipment, that's good. Related to that is have a second pair of hands, bring one of your teammates in, get one of the aides or one of the nurses Sometimes I've even had family members and and the patient help me. They might be holding the suction tubing so I can do the other work and they're keeping things dry. Another thing with the teammate is they have another pair of eyes. So they might come at it and say, oh, what if we did this? So it gives you an, another way of looking at how to manage that fistula, especially if the thing you tried didn't work the first time, ask somebody else to come in and give their take on it. Creativity is a huge thing to have in your toolbox. And I think ostomy nurses, they're the MacGyvers of nursing. What is there that we can make work for this? And I have seen unusual things used to help manage fistulas. And then finally, what, what kind of resources are there? The product manufacturers often have how to use their products. So that's a good place to look, like maybe they've got something that you didn't think about. The ostomy management textbook has has a lot of information. That's uh, the current core curriculum from the WOC. They've got a full chapter on fistula management. So that's a, that's a good place to look too. Thank you for that, Linda. It sounds like there's lots of different things that we need to consider across the board, both for management and for assessment. I appreciate very much that you added an extra set of hands and the suction because, you know, especially when you're dealing with those type two fistulas and you've got multiple openings in that wound bed, it's a real challenge to be able to keep things dry while you're doing all of the prep work and filling all of the creases before you can get a, a fistula manager on there. So, or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're able to use at your facility. I just want to thank you so much for being here with us today, for sharing your knowledge and for being a part of this. Thanks, Michelle. It's been great to be here. And I hope it's really useful for not only our, our colleagues, but also the people who have fistulas in their families. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bowel and Bladder Matters podcast, part of Coloplast Professional, where we believe clinician education related to ostomies and continence matters. 
For more educational resources from Coloplast, visit us at coloplast.us/professional.